Samuel Adams once said, It does not take a majority to prevail, but rather an irate, tireless minority, keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. Welcome back to the Big Freedom Show. I'm one of your hosts here, Charlie Thompson. John King is not with us tonight. He's ruining the intro for me, so I have to switch it up. But you're in luck because your favorite lispy libertarian is in the building. Nate, how's it going? It's going pretty good, man. It's kind of weird that John's not here. I'm used to staring across him at the table. Uh, but we're doing this here at our home studio. Guys, if this is your first time listening, it's going to be a little bit different from our normal format. We're, we're not in the studio where we normally are. We're uh, at my house here just doing this the best we can. John is a, is a music producer, and he also uh, films music videos for, for different bands and artists. And he's gone doing that right now. So we're just having to pick up what we can. John, we miss you, buddy. It's, uh, you know, the home studio, I have to say, though, is pretty nice. You know, we're, uh, we're, we're uh, sitting on a bed. It's not weird. It's not weird. And, uh, you know, we're doing everything we can just to bring this show to you guys. And I want to say, for those of you out there who skipped the first 15 seconds of a podcast to get past the intro... I'm guilty of it. Uh, I I said a quote by Samuel Adams, and this has a lot to do with what we do here at the Big Freedom Show, and I'll repeat it for you in case you skipped it. Sam Adams said, It does not take a majority to prevail, but rather an irate, tireless minority keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. And that's exactly what we do here every single week for you at the Big Freedom Show. It's not about having the most popular opinion. It's not about the majority. It's not about winning the majority of people to these ideas. What it is about is keeping these ideas of life, keeping the ideas of liberty and freedom as the best way to construct society. That's exactly what we believe here at the Big Freedom Show. So we continue to come here every week for that exact reason. Because we believe so heavily, we, we, to our core, we believe that these principles that we stand by are what is best for everyone. And the reason why is because we care about everyone. It's not that we want to be right. It's not that we, we want everyone to agree with us. We want what is best for everyone that is out there. So as Samuel Adams said, we got to keep those brush fryers going with that said, guys, Thank you so much for listening. Please share the show. We're seeing the numbers continue to grow, even though we've been gone for a week again. Uh, We have had three days in a row where the the numbers have just been shooting up. So we can't thank you enough for that. Uh, Share the show because people need to hear this. People need to hear the Big Freedom Show, even though our, uh, our king, the John King, is missing. Well, yeah, I think the fact that John is gone, we're in the home studio, it really it shows a lot about our convictions on this. And there's a lot of big common misconceptions about libertarians that really we're just greedy people that want to keep all of our own stuff. We don't really care about anyone. You know, we just care about ourselves. It's actually not the case whatsoever. We, we care about everyone. We really think that uh, these ideals are the best thing for society. 
And it's good to be dedicated to things, too, like this podcast, even though John's gone, making it hard on us. He's doing it on purpose. I know he is. Um, he's just laughing right now while he's listening to it. You know, when we want to do something in our lives, we dedicate everything we can to it. That's why we're sitting here on a bed with a laptop with a really hilariously constructed mic stand right now. I, I wish I could show it to you guys. It involves a broken fan blade, an end table, and a medicine ball, and a Mick Ultra. So that honestly, that's all you need to know. Whatever you can come up with in your mind, that's what we're using. But that's kind of how we've always gone into everything in our lives. You know, we've we've got some some decently cool backstories. We both went to the same high school, Charlie and I, and uh, we've known each other for a really long time now. Maybe since two thousand one, two thousand two, something like that. Actually, went to the same grade school too. So I guess we've known each other for a really long time. But uh, we both, coming out, of, coming out of high school, went into the music industry, a really tough industry, and we put everything we had into it, and Charlie did some really, really cool things in the industry because of how hard you tried and, and just put everything you had into it. I mean, Charlie, what, I mean, what's like the coolest thing you got to do? It's pretty, pretty awesome. Oh, where do I begin? Man, everything, <laughs> everything I did was just awesome. No, uh, I would have to say that. Probably the coolest thing I did is the same. You've done it too, actually more. Uh, was getting to play for the troops on the Armed Forces Entertainment. Uh, so, because obviously, I mean, we've said many times here, we love the troops, we love the military, the people. We have family in the military, and so getting to give just a slice of, you know, some of the of what's happening in the homeland to these troops that are overseas is just a really cool thing uh, to do, and and. I don't know. There was several, I got to play on a cruise ship. I, you know, I toured the world essentially for almost four years. And like Nate said, though, that didn't come. I didn't just get lucky and somebody picked me out of a lineup and was like, hey, you should go on tour with us. Right. I, it took years of dedication. And I have to tell you, Nate is a better musician than I am. It makes me angry. <laughs> But he is. I taught Nate his first. Uh, I want everyone to know. I taught Nate his very first chord on guitar. Um, I believe it was an E minor, which is not a hard chord to learn. So maybe we should put that as part of the uh, American uh, starter kit. American Amer- American Dream starter kit. Some music lessons. But yeah, I mean, you, I, I think that's a good idea. We have the American Dream starter kit. A little brush over that. It comes with a little box, and you get your own piece of today's American Dream, which is a uh, Probably a tariff for higher prices on things that you want uh, that you wanted to get for a lower price. Uh, you get a check written to you uh, that comes from a bank account that's just filled with other people's money. That was part of the American dream, right? When they came here and started America, the main point was that you could come here and force other people to give you their money. That was why you wanted to move to America. Right. So that's one of the great things that that came out of, you know, the Revolutionary War, us coming over here. You get great guys like Thomas Jefferson and 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 Adams, and you know, just like that quote. And it all had to do with the fact that you could come here and have the government forcibly remove money from someone else and then give it to you. And uh, I'm glad that we finally achieved that. The the best American dream that we could have. You're thinking of something else. That's that's not the American dream at all. It's. It's actually, quite frankly, just the opposite. So if you guys are, you know, into some reverse psychology, that's exactly what I think Nate was doing there is just reversing some psychology on you because 
it's completely opposite of that. What the founders believed, what we believe, what we've said many, many times is that the more freedom that people can have, the more liberty that they can have, the more prosperous they can be. And that's what the founders figured out. The Constitution is nothing new. I want everybody to know that. It's not something that the founders just came up with on a whim. They weren't sitting in a room and were like, hey, the Constitution, that's never been done before. What the Constitution is, is over 600 years worth of history in the making. The the founders and their ancestors that came before them, this happened over generations where, you know, even before the Magna Carta, and then you had the Magna Carta, and you had um, other pacts that were made with kings where the people were free from certain things and they had liberties were all taken away. They, every time it was done, it continually began to be stripped from them by Kings, by tyrants, by people who just wanted more power. And so the, the, uh, the founders knew this, they knew this throughout over 600 years worth of history. And that's why they came up with the constitution because they know that governments can become tyrannical. Speaking of tyrannical, I just have to say the it's more gun gun control, gun debate that's been happening. That's literally anything that's in the news right now. Nate and I were trying to come up with to talk about. And there's a few things that obviously nobody's talking about. Everybody's still talking about this. What happened in Parkland, Florida, which is a very, very sad tragedy. Go back and listen to our last episode on this shooting, we talked about some gun control. We talked about some solutions, but I have to say what, what gets me every single time, the second amendment, first of all, let me say that the constitution has nothing to do with giving you rights. Your rights do not come from a piece of paper. Your rights do not come from an edict of government. It doesn't come from a king. It doesn't come from anything else except for the fact that you, because you're human, you have inalienable rights. You have rights that cannot be taken from you because you're human. And one of those rights is self-defense. And the second amendment was written to make sure that our government couldn't take that right away from us. And you can throw anything you want out there, whatever rules you want to make, it doesn't matter because the natural right supersedes that. And I have to say the biggest reason why it was so important for the founders to put the second amendment in the constitution was because of that history that I mentioned, the 600 years of history where they knew that governments could become tyrannical. They put the second amendment in there because they knew that if the people were to if the people were able to protect themselves, that it would severely hinder the government from becoming overbearing, too powerful and tyrannical, stripping people of their freedoms and their rights and their liberties. And I, over and over again, I see people say, why do you need guns? Why do you need the second amendment? Lots of people aren't answering like, Hey, the biggest reason is because if the government ever, ever becomes too powerful or too tyrannical, then it's up to the people to bring it back. And a lot of those people are getting laughed at. They're getting laughed at because like, Oh, the government, they're never going to do that. Well, I just want to give you a little story here. Uh, it wasn't that long ago. In fact, a mere four years ago that if anyone remembers, maybe some of you listening will remember, but the majority of you probably won't because it wasn't really covered on the national news. 
But there is a family called the Bundy family who have uh, ranches out in Nevada. And a mere four years ago, the BLM and federal agents were trying to take the Bundy's property and their cattle and things like that. And there's a, a great meme going on around in Facebook that says, uh, liberal, you don't stand a chance against the U.S. government. Just turn in your guns. Me, do you remember that time in 2014 when a bunch of ranchers with assault rifle, assault rifles won a standoff against the U.S. government? This actually happened. This happened in Nevada four years ago where a bunch of ranchers were tired of the government taking too much control. The federal government, the, the Bureau of Land Management, which is the federal wing of managing land, got tired and said, we are going to stand up against you. And so these ranchers came together. They were, it was a small number of men. It wasn't the majority. And guess what? They won. They won against U.S. Uh, federal agents of the Bureau of Land Management. The standoff was over because of citizens taking up their rights to protect themselves, to protect their property, and to protect their land. And to make a long story short here, all of them have been acquitted of federal charges. You can go back and look. Uh, the bun of Several of the Bundys were held in prison without release, and it wasn't probably six months ago that almost every single person that was a part of that standoff has been acquitted because it is their natural right to do those things, and the government was overstepping its bounds. And I think one thing here we need to pay attention to is that a lot of people listening, if, uh, you might not agree with what they did. Like you might think it's ridiculous that they had a standoff against the BLM over some land dispute. Um, but take this and make it something, you know, make it something that you care about. I saw a lot of a lot of liberals all of a sudden started talking negatively about the government having so much power in the last year, you know. I wonder why they why they cared about that so much because it seemed like for almost a decade you couldn't give the government enough power. You couldn't sign enough executive orders. You wanted the president to have the right to do everything. And then all of a sudden it seems like maybe about a year ago uh you're a little bit worried about how much power the federal government has. And so the whole point here was that you can't always just let the president do everything. You can't always let the government have control over everything uh, because you don't always know who's going to be in control of the government. So once you give the government a right to do something, you're never going to get it back. They'll they'll never give you that right that that right back. Once they take something from you, you're never going to get it back. And the whole point of the Second Amendment was to have the ordinary citizens be there as a deterrent from letting the government grow so big and from taking too many of their rights away. And guys, these, like Charlie said, these are not rights that were given to us by the government. The Constitution is not a list of rights that the U.S. government has bestowed upon us that they can decide to take away if they want to. What the Founding Fathers knew was that human beings were born with natural rights. One of those rights is the right to defend yourself. You're a human being. Do you have the right to defend yourself? Yes, that's what the Second Amendment is. You have the right as a human being to be able to defend yourself. That right does not come from the Constitution. That right is protected by the Constitution. And that is a, a really big misconception that we have here all the time is that we can just get rid of this right 
that right didn't come from the government in the first place. The right, the Constitution says that the U.S. government will protect that right. That is the point of the Bill of Rights. Shall not be infringed. I mean, that's the, and you can say militia, you can say whatever you want. It's the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's from anyone. That's from the federal government, state government, local governments. It is your right. You don't have to explain yourself. I don't have to explain to you why I need an AR-15. I don't. It is my natural right. And I'm not, we don't say this, we don't say any of this because we don't care about kids. Don't take this the wrong way. This is not us, you know, standing on top of dead kids saying my rights better than your dead kids. That's not what this is about. This is about the truth. What we talked about in the very beginning of the show, this is about the truth. This is about the ideas of liberty and freedom that bring the most prosperity and the best society that humans can possibly have. The greatest experiment of all time was the American experiment. It was the first time in recorded history where you had people that stood for the ideas of liberty. You had people who believed to their core, who believed so much in these ideas that they would rather lay down their lives than continue on in any form of tyranny. John Locke said, give me liberty or give me death. And that's what this is about. This whole gun control debate is what just one small minuscule thing in the grand scheme of what human beings should have the natural rights to do, to live freely, not be bothered, have your property and your life protected. And that's in at the core of that is what freedom and liberty is all about. Well, speaking of freedom and liberty, I'm going to switch it up here a little bit and move over to an article from Vox that I saw come across my news feed this weekend. Uh, my news feed, as usual, is brought to me by my news app on my iPhone. No Facebook here, so I don't get any of that uh, diluted, crazy stuff that you guys are seeing all the time. Just straight-up news articles. Um, this is called, Trump is tearing up the system that protects ordinary Americans from financial scams. So obviously with that headline, we're pointing out the fact that Trump wants ordinary Americans to get caught up in some kind of financial scam, right? So that, that's, that's what we're looking at. But what this is really going back to is the, the Dodd-Frank Act. And they're, one of the main things in this article is talking about payday loans. Now, I'm not a real big advocate of payday loans. They're overall a pretty terrible deal. Going and maybe getting three, four hundred bucks and having to pay them back eight hundred or a thousand doesn't really seem like the best deal in the world to me. Does it to you, Charlie? I don't. I don't. No. No, it doesn't. Not good. Um, so one of the things that they did here is they're dropping a lawsuit against these payday lenders in Kansas that they say were charging up to a nine hundred and fifty percent annual interest rate. Um, I got a, a one little thing, and I don't want to just sit here and defend payday lenders. Uh, but then again, I I guess that's what I'm gonna do because this is uh this is actually coming right out of basic economics. Uh, if you ever want to read an amazing book that will just change your life, 
Check out Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. It's the most important book I've ever read. It was so important, I've read it six times now. Uh, it's my, my favorite book in the world. I couldn't recommend it enough. But when you're talking about an annual interest rate, you always hear all these terrible, terrible interest rates for, for payday lenders. Well, a payday loan is meant to be a short-term loan, two weeks to a month, something like that. And you have an interest rate on that time frame. When you talk about an annual interest rate on a, on a payday loan, it's really a, a pointless thing that's just meant to make it sound worse because your maybe your 50% interest rate, which is still a terrible interest rate, when you take that and multiply it over 12 months, well, yeah, it turns into a 1,000% eventually. But it was meant to be paid back in two weeks. So, you know, talking about an annual interest rate on a on a payday loan would be a, about the same thing as talking about what the annual rate would be for a hotel room. I bet if you took a hotel room rate that costs you 120 bucks a night, if you look at the annual rate for that hotel, it's a pretty ridiculous amount of money. You might be able to buy a house instead. But no one looks at the hotel and judges them by what their annual nightly rate is. So uh, it just doesn't make any sense to talk about it. One little thing in that is whenever you go and you get a bank loan, there's administrative costs in that. There's a loan application fee. There's they have to, you know, they have legal fees for making a, a real legally binding document with you. They have they have to pay the people that take care of all of that. Um, so when you go to get like a hundred thousand dollar loan, there might be a two hundred dollar fee on that for taking care of all of your loan application fees and all the legal fees that they had to deal with. The issue is when you go and get a two hundred dollar loan. They still had to do all of the same things. They still had to have it legally binding. They still have to do all the same things they used to have to do. Only now, you're only asking for $200, and then you have a $200 loan application fee, because that's how much it costs to do it. So that's one of the things that makes the cost of this seem so much more expensive. But aside from that, the point of this article is to talk about the fact that the U.S. government is here to make sure that you don't make bad financial decisions, which in itself is a really funny joke considering uh, the financial state of the U.S. government, the fact that it could uh, only run, it has less cash on hand than uh, Apple computers. So it's a, a pretty funny statement anyway that they would be here to make sure that you make good financial decisions. But this is just another thing in a, in a long stream of things where they want to remove your personal responsibility. They want to take the responsibility out of your hands. I have to say, this whole payday loan thing, granted, I agree with you, not fans of it, but clearly there's a market for this. Otherwise, there wouldn't be thousands of these stores all over the place. And, and, and think about this, right? Sometimes... These types of things, while obviously not recommended because you shouldn't you shouldn't ever borrow money if you don't have to, but if you're ever in a tight spot and this is something that you needed, I'm glad that service is there, but make sure you pay it back in two weeks or a month or whatever it is so you're not stuck overpaying for money that you borrowed. And you have to remember, these are uncollateral, <clears throat> uncollateralized debt. Right. So there's nothing. These people may prove that they have a job or anything, but they're not offering any type of collateral that the payday loan can actually take from them unless it's like a title max. Right. They could take their car. 
but most of these are paid. The payday loan is based off your, your job. So what if you lose your job, right? There's no collateral for them to take any money from you. And one other thing, one other thing I want to point out on this, Nate, I got a question for you is most people aren't making smart financial decisions and the government's trying to step in and say, Hey, we want to make sure you don't, but is it, or is it not the majority of people go to government public schools where they don't teach you anything about, did you learn anything about finances in your uh, government run education there, Nate? You know, I had a lot of really important classes when I was in the, when I was in grade school and high school, had some really amazing teachers, but one thing for some reason in the government schooling, the public schooling that they don't ever care about teaching is economics or finances. And isn't that kind of weird if you think about all of the things throughout your life that you had to learn about? You think about all the classes that you had to take when you were growing up. Now you think right now about your life and the way it's going. What is maybe the number one or number two most pressing thing in your life every day. I bet you it has something to do with finances. But for some reason, we see no reason to start teaching kids about finances or about economics ever. I mean, they have to elect into it in college if they want to take it. You don't even have to take it then. So, I, I mean, how crazy is that to think that how big of a, how big a part of your life is finances? It's got to be one of the most important things, but we don't learn about it in our government schooling. Hmm, that's something. But back to these payday loans, I mean, this really all comes down to personal responsibility. When you go to get a loan, you need to be able to make the decision of whether or not you're going to be able to pay that back, or you're going to have to suffer the consequences of taking money from someone and then not giving them money back later like you told them you were going to. That's one of these things. And these payday loans, they help out people who can't get loans anywhere. What you're supposed to do is if you're getting paid in a couple days, but say your water bill is due today or they're going to turn your water off to your house, you're supposed to take out enough money to be able to pay that. And then when you get your paycheck here in a couple days, you can go ahead and pay off the loan. What happens is most people, they take out the highest amount of money that they can based on their paycheck. And then... They end up, guess what? You took out the highest amount you could, but then you took the fees on top of that, and then your paycheck wasn't enough to pay it back. And then they get into this terrible cycle of debt all the time. Let me tell you guys something. I know all about terrible cycles of debt. I'm one of the most experienced people on this podcast when it comes to debt. Uh, when We talked a little bit about music earlier. I went straight into music out of high school. I've always known... Uh, I've known for a really long time that I was a musician and that I wanted to play music for the rest of my life. It was the most important thing to me in the world. And I took out tons of loans for the bands that I was in. I took out student loans. I took out more than I needed in student loans on purpose so I could finance things in music because I cared so much about doing it that I was willing to risk every single thing that I could to try and make it doing that. And once one of the bands didn't make it, I got into another band. And guess what? We took out business loans to be able to do things with that band too. It went a little bit better in this one. Um, but 
still, I've always been someone that was not afraid to take a risk and not afraid to take out a loan whenever it was time to do something. Um, so one thing I can tell you is that I've never gone back and sat here and look at the, you know, the bill collection calls I've had over the years. I've never thought about those and said, man, those people, they really sucked me into this and I'm upset with them because they shouldn't have been allowed to give me that money and, and I wish the government would have been here to stop that from happening. No, I've never thought that once. You know what I've always thought? Man, I made some terrible decisions. I wish someone would have told me not to do it. I wish someone would have forced me not to. You know, I'm really, it's great. My parents have always just let me make every terrible decision I possibly could. And I think I learned a lot from it. But I wish I would have had someone there to, to tell me about how risky of a decision this was and how maybe it wasn't a great idea to take out more student loans than I needed. But one thing I can tell you, I never looked back and said that it was the banks that were screwing me, screwing me over, that it was the credit card companies that were screwing me over. It was me. I'm the one that made the bad decisions, and I'm the one that's been paying the price for those for a long time. And that's something that I guess the government is trying to force people out of, but an issue with that is that you never learn personal responsibility. Guys, we can't go down the road of having an entire society of people that know nothing about personal responsibility. And that seems to be every single thing that the government does is aimed at taking responsibility off of you and putting it in their hands. And that's a very scary thing. You guys, I mean, let's say you're a a liberal listening to this podcast right now. Do you realize who's in control of our country at the moment? Are you, are you at all excited about the fact that we've taken so much responsibility out of the hands of ordinary people and put it into the hands of the government? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, it'll be fine as long as we just get our guy or our girl in there. There'll, there'll be no problem. That's not always going to happen. You might get your guy or your girl in there for four years or eight years, and then you're going to give them all the power you'd ever wanted them to have, and then we're just going to get another Trump in office after that that's going to have the same power that you wanted Obama to have every single day, and now that's in the hands of Trump. So I think it's a really dangerous thing for us to focus on removing responsibility from our society and placing it in the hands of the government. I also took out loans with you, Nate, uh, back in the first band, the one that didn't make it, <laughs> but don't worry. We both, uh, we both, well, we, we've always remained great friends and we just kind of went a little two different directions in music. Nothing, nothing bad about it. It's just Nate joined another band. I joined another band. We'd done some really cool stuff. We both spent a lot of our own money, uh, doing this. I actually got paid in the last band that I was in. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, Shoot, Nate, they they won the Make a Band Famous Award on the Old Music Awards for MTV. They they like I said, they played Armed Forces Entertainment like we did. All this was made possible by self-responsibility, dedication, hard work, willing to take risks, right? This whole idea that we've talked about this entire show of liberty and freedom that derives itself from self-responsibility, that derives itself from the simple principle of self-ownership. That you own your body, you own your thoughts, you own your choices. You have the decision and the choice to wake up every single day and say, you know what? It's no one else's fault. It's my fault. It's my choice. It's my decision. 
I can be happy if I want to. I can make a million dollars if I want to. I can make $50,000 if I want to. Wherever you're at in life, there's no one to blame. And if you get stuck in this victim blaming place, it's the most dark, depressing place you'll ever be in. I have a really good friend of mine that I was actually in a, me and Nate both were in a band with this guy. Um, I'll save his name, you know, just for the show. I don't know if he's out there listening. Um, I think he is. So he'll probably know who we're talking about, but this friend of ours became, he got stuck in this victim place where it was Trump's fault or it was the Republicans fault, or it was these institutions fault. All these, all of these institutions and people that probably have no, really no effect on his life. He got stuck in this place. And I remember him and I had conversations over the last three or four years where it was always, you know, these people hate me. They put me down, whatever. It probably six months ago after talking to this guy for four years about these certain things, he came to me and he, and he said, he's like, Charlie, you're absolutely right. We had this long conversation and I, and I was telling him, and I was like, why do you let these people, these institutions, these ideas dictate how you feel about yourself every single day? Why are you being the victim? You're not the victim because you know what? You're great. You're good. You're smart. You're strong. You can wake up every single day and decide, you know what? It doesn't matter what's going on out there. It doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter who the vice president is. It doesn't matter if the NFL people are taking knees. It doesn't matter if the government, you know, passes a new regulation that stops me from doing one thing because you ultimately make the decision to be the best version of yourself every single day. When you wake up, that's that self-responsibility. It's no secret here at the big freedom show. We listen to a guy by the name of Jason Stapleton, and I'm going to steal one of his lines when he says winners win. And it's so true. By the way, I've been saying that before I started listening to Jason. I just want to throw that out there for you guys. <laughs> but it's it is also, yeah, from Talladega Nights. But winners win. If you ain't first, you're last, baby. If you ain't first, you're last. I want to go fast. <laughs> and another person who says this, too, is uh, Gary Vee. I know a lot of people out there that maybe hate this guy or like him. But he's he puts it so simply. He says the market is the market. He started, Gary Vee started a company called Wine Library. He was the first company to deliver wine. And I don't know all the ins and outs of Wine Library, but what I do know, what I do know is that he kept getting pummeled by government where they were passing new regulations and laws and things and making it harder for Wine Library to succeed. And he, he's like, you know what? This isn't going to happen. This isn't going to work because we have bought politicians who will concede to whatever their donors say, whatever. They're not going to let freedom work here. And so he's like, I started over. I started over. That's exactly what he said. He's like, I sold wine library and I just started over. And that's what you have to be willing to do. You have to be willing to take risks. You know, when I was younger, I, we all, Probably. I mean, I know from, I can speak for myself. I don't want to put words in everybody's mouth, but we grew up poor. I mean, we, I, I lived in a trailer. Nate grew up in a trailer. Um, actually when I was in high school, we moved to a house, but we, we still rented. Yeah. That must've been nice, man. That's a, that's awesome that you got to move into a house. Um, 
we did get the we moved into an apartment afterwards and uh, you know what the trailer i grew up in was awesome i was actually really sad whenever we moved away from it because it was my home it was my mobile home and uh it, it wasn't too bad. The trailer park that I first started out in was a, a little bit rough, a little bit rough and tumble. I mean, I remember my mom, my mom used to push mow all the yards in the trailer park just so we could afford to pay our rent, probably our $100 a month rent we probably had to pay to be in the trailer park. Um, I mean, that's the kind of hard work we grew I know you grew up with some hardworking women too. I grew up with a, a single mom who was a, put herself through college after I was born and then became a school teacher. Not one of the highest paying jobs you could ever get, but she still raised me with a school teacher salary. And then I had, you know, a great dad and stepmom too, who uh, are on a farm and obviously really hard workers. I was there on the weekends. I learned a lot about farming. I learned a lot about how expensive the stuff is that you can break whenever you do something wrong and uh there's there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of life lessons you can learn uh from having some good people to raise you i know charlie you got what you got raised by your mom and your grandma and i mean you did make it into a house though so i guess you had it easy you had it easy yeah let me tell you that house we rented was was real easy i'll never forget you know we did it was it was a lucky part of our lives. We got to move from a trailer where we were crammed. Now get it, you know, you were an only child essentially for a while, um, and I had two brothers. So we were all close, and we're all giants, by the way, in my family. So I had a single mom and my grandmother that lived with us, and they raised me into the person that I am today. And we were lucky enough. Um, I think my dad at the time upped his child support to $600 a month. And that's what this house costs. So that child support payment went directly just to paying for rent at this house. And I'll never forget though. We, uh, we had to, when we first moved there, we didn't have a riding lawnmower cause we couldn't afford one. And so we had about an acre of grass that had to be mowed with a push mower. And let me tell you, if you uh, if you like to mow out there, why don't you try mowing about an acre worth of grass with a push mower, which was my job. And I, but I learned hard work at this age. I learned that nothing in life comes easy. And if you think that someone's going to hand it to you, if you think that because you're good looking or you're smart or you go to college or any of those things that somebody's just going to hand you your future, hand you your dreams. You're wrong. And when we talk about self-responsibility, I, I was a, a kid who figured out at the age of 12 that if I wanted anything in life, I was going to have to do something about it. I started working for our neighbors who owned a nursery and I got paid probably $4 an hour, which was less than minimum wage. And luckily they didn't care about the laws back then because I had a job. And then I started my first real job when I was 16 at McDonald's and I made minimum wage 515 an hour at the time was McDonald's and within 6 months of working there because of my job that I had from the nursery and McDonald's I bought my very first car with cash that I had saved up at 16 years old it wasn't 6 months after that when I had just turned 17 I was still a junior in high school I became a manager at that McDonald's I was probably one of the first 
high school students at, I know at that McDonald's for sure. I was the first high school student to ever become a manager, maybe across the country. I don't know. But my grandpa told me something when I was little, he said, I don't care if you're a dishwasher, be the best dishwasher there ever was. And that's exactly what every job that I've ever taken is what I've done. I was going to be the best person in my position. I may not be the smartest. I didn't go to college. I didn't graduate college. I know I'm not probably the smartest guy in the room, but I guarantee I will outwork you on almost everything. When it comes to music, I was saying Nate's way more talented than I am, but I was able to do the things that I did because of the hard work and the dedication that you have to put in to make your life better. I managed McDonald's for over four years um, while I was playing music. It was one thing I did on the side. I moved down to Nashville and I ended up because of the skills that I learned when I was younger about hard work, because I knew that I controlled my own destiny. I ended up starting my own company. I went from nothing to starting my own company with no college degree, nothing. And I've worked for fortune. I've had fortune 500 companies as clients. I've turned nothing into six figures and I'm, don't, I'm not saying any of this to brag. I'm not saying any of this to, to say that I'm better than you. What I'm saying is that it's possible. It can be done. We do this podcast. We're doing it at our home studio with a ghetto setup. Why? Because we care. We care and we have the dedication to put the work and to use our work ethic to know that it, it's in our control to do these things. And I'm sorry to go on a long tangent there, but I just, I wanted to get that off my chest because I want you out there to believe if you're listening to this, that you have what it takes. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the top of your class. You don't have to have two parents. You don't have to have any of those stigmas that society tries to put on you. Just like my friend that we talked about earlier, you can make the decision, not be the victim and be who you want to be. So guys, I think that's enough to, to probably go ahead and close it out. Just go out there tomorrow and be the best you can be. You know, be the best version of yourself. Try harder than everyone else around you, and eventually it's going to work out for you. But um, So guys, go out there today, and there's just there's one thing that we need from you, and that is to share this show. We we are putting everything we have into it like we do everything else in our lives. And if you could do one thing for us, show this show to one of your friends. You guys have a friend that maybe is just kind of on the wrong side of all these political issues. You guys have a friend that is just upset at corporations all the time for running their lives. Or they're upset with the government. Or they're upset with people in their lives. Just show it to them. Maybe they need to hear it today. Who knows? You can share it on your Facebook, share it on Twitter. You can tweet us at Big Freedom Show. Okay, find us on Facebook and leave us a rating and review in iTunes. If you can do any of those things, it will help this show out more than we could ever explain to you. But that's all we got for today. Come on back next week and we'll talk to you again. Mm-hmm.